new on Curiosity Stream. This bear's walking right at me. We'll see if he wants trouble or not. Follow filmmaker Casey Anderson as he gets an unprecedented face-to-face -face look at Alaska's fiercest carnivores on the Tracker's Diary, Bears of Katmai. Plus, why is a tiny island in the Pacific one of America's most crucial outposts? Discover the truth behind this mysterious Trans-Pacific stopover on Extremity's Wake Island. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Welcome to Silicon Valley Trends, a free podcast series published by Silicon Valley Business School. I'm your host, David Smith. At Silicon Valley Business School, we provide affordable, real-world online business education to everyone everywhere and guide entrepreneurs towards success with their startup ventures. This episode is about non-practicing entities, NPEs, otherwise referred to as patent licensing companies, patent assertion entities, PAEs, or patent holding companies. Non-practicing entities are companies whose sole activity is patent licensing. They're called non-practicing because they don't practice the inventions in their patents. This is patent attorney speak for saying they don't make or sell any products. They don't sell any products based on their patents or anyone else's patents. It's a company, usually a limited liability company, but it could be a corporation or another form of business entity that's dedicated to licensing patents and doesn't sell any products at all. Why do non-practicing entities exist? Well, when you sue a company for infringing your patent, you can often expect your opponent to countersue you for infringing its patent. Attack is sometimes the best form of defense, and this has certainly been true when it comes to patent litigation, where companies hold patents as weapons they can use against opponents when they come under attack. You sue me, and I'll sue you right back. Now, if you're an MPE and you sue a company for patent infringement, you don't have to worry about a countersuit alleging you infringe your opponent's patents, because you can't infringe any patents if you're not selling any products or services. When your business is purely patent assertion and licensing, you're immune to countersuits for patent infringement. You won't be surprised to hear that large corporations don't like being sued for patent infringement. They don't like paying patent license royalties and they hate non-practicing entities because they can't bully them into submission using their arsenals of patents as weapons. In a successful attempt at painting themselves as the victims and characterizing NPEs as the bad guys, corporate attorneys have referred to NPEs as patent trolls. The patent troll characterization has gathered momentum as a result of intense lobbying by many large high-tech corporations that have been the target of patent litigation from non-practicing entities, partly because they sell complex products that infringe hundreds of thousands of patents. As it's such a pejorative term, judges don't allow lawyers to use the term patent troll in front of juries or in court filings. A patent litigator that often represents patent holders told me that he refers to the defendant as a thief if the defendant refers to his plaintiff client as a patent troll. Words can be impactful, especially in front of a jury, and they've been very effective in creating the narrative about non-practicing entities 
being patent trolls. In recent years, instead of filing lawsuits themselves, patent holders have increasingly assigned their patents to non-practicing entities who run the patent licensing campaigns. Patent holders that sell products, known in patent speak as operating companies, obviously don't want to be in the firing line for countersuits, claiming patent infringement by them. But individual inventors that don't manufacture or sell any products are also turning to NPEs to assert the patent rights. Let's look at the reasons why a patent holder would hand its patents over to an NPE for monetization. Firstly, NPEs have specialist resources and expertise when it comes to patent licensing and litigation. Companies usually don't pay patent licenses until they're forced to. So licensing is driven by litigation. And when it comes to filing lawsuits, you need an army of lawyers and a war chest of funds if you're going to take on large product manufacturers. Non-practicing entities are usually staffed by lawyers and have teams of litigators either on staff or through law firms they have relationships with. NPEs have access to lawyers who specialize in handling inter-party reviews. When the validity of a patent is challenged before the Patent Trial and Appeals Board at the US Patent and Trademark Office. Companies accused of patent infringement will often hire attorneys to file an inter-party review, although each one costs around $250,000 in legal fees. Non-practicing entities have specialist lawyers on hand to fight the inter-party review. Each side in a patent litigation suit will hire experts to support their arguments. The patent holder will hire one or more technical experts to argue that the patent is valid and the defendant is infringing. The defendant will hire its own experts to argue that the patent is invalid and the company's products do not infringe. Then there are experts retained to calculate damages and figure out what the infringer needs to pay the patent holder by way of a reasonable royalty. These experts charge pretty hefty fees. After compiling expert witness fee data from more than 35,000 cases, the Expert Institute reported that the average rate for initial case reviews for all expert witnesses across the board in various different sectors is $356 an hour. The average rate for deposition appearances is $448 an hour and the average rate for trial testimony is $478 an hour. At the high end, the Expert Institute website shows that an expert on neurosurgery will charge, on average, $1,134 an hour to attend and give testimony at trial. And bear in mind, trials generally take several days. So these expert fees add up and often account for several million dollars for a single case against a single defendant. Cases are often won or lost on the credibility of experts. If the jury likes and believes your expert, you're in with a good chance of winning the case. Non-practicing entities have the funds and relationships in place to engage and retain credible experts. Of course, litigation law firms often have relationships with experts but as they've been through so many cases, non-practicing entities often have their own pool of experts to draw from. 
Beyond the specialist resources and expertise held by non-practicing entities, there are other compelling reasons for patent holders to work with an MPE to assert their patent rights rather than simply hiring a law firm. As the NPE acts as the plaintiff in the case, the NPE is on the hook for potential costs such as fee shifting and court sanctions. Although the general rule in litigation in the United States is that both sides pay their own legal fees, the courts in patent cases have increasingly started to implement a loser-pays policy where they force the patent holder to pay the legal fees of the accused infringer. The court shifts the fees from the defendant to the plaintiff, so this is referred to as fee shifting. These fees can be pretty substantial. You might have seen that Apple asked the court to force Samsung to pay $66 million of Apple's legal fees when they triggered the smartphone patent wars. If you sue a large corporation for patent infringement, don't be surprised if the lawyers they hire charge exorbitant fees, and if you lose the case, don't be surprised if you're forced to pay fees upward of $10 million. Beyond fee shifting, the plaintiff is also exposed to the possibility of court sanctions. If the judge isn't happy with the behavior of the lawyers, or has some other reason for angst, the court can impose sanctions, and these are often measured in millions of dollars. By having your patents asserted by an NPE, you're shielded from exposure to fee shifting, sanctions, and other liabilities that have become commonplace in the patent litigation business. This explains why NPEs have grown into familiar features of the patent litigation landscape. But for patent holders, there are some downsides to partnering with an MPE. The first, of course, is the cost in terms of the percentage the MPE earns from the proceeds of the licensing campaign. I'll explain how the MPE business model works in a few moments. But you won't be surprised to hear that an MPE is going to take a huge chunk of any monies recovered as a result of its efforts. The second reason for asserting your patent yourself and not going through an MPE is due to the peace agreements that MPEs sometimes enter into. Imagine an MPE sues Company X and wins. Then it sues Company X again and again and again using different patents. Company X then says to the MPE, I'll pay you off this time, but I never want to see you again. I'll pay you a nice, compelling settlement so long as you promise never to sue me again. This happens. It makes sense for the company and the NPE. So NPEs are sometimes restricted from suing certain companies as a result of these peace agreements. If your patents are being infringed by company X, there's no point giving the patents to an NPE that has a peace agreement with company X, as there's no chance of the NPE ever collecting any license fees from this company for your patents or any other patents. If you're thinking of transferring patents for assertion by an NPE, you might want to check that the companies you're targeting are not off limits to that particular NPE. Some non-practicing entities have more covenants not to sue and peace agreements than others. Now, patent licensing is driven by litigation and the courts don't operate on the quarterly cycle that drives Wall Street investors. 
PIPCOs are public IP companies, usually non-practicing entities that have raised finance from the public markets and are required by the Securities and Exchange Commission to report their results each quarter. Wall Street investors are driven by quarterly results and they like to see charts showing a steady growth with sales and profit figures moving upwards to the right. NPEs that are publicly traded are under intense pressure to show quarterly results. And this is not easy when their business involves lawsuits that take years to get to court, then are subject to appeals that can take several more years to reach a conclusion. Imagine an MPE reports to its investors that it expects to collect $10 million in license fees this quarter from a lawsuit. But the case is then delayed for six months. The NPE will then be scrambling to book some revenue before the end of the quarter. They often look for ongoing license negotiations and try to find one they can settle out as a matter of urgency. The NPE is inclined to say to the licensee, we believe this license is worth more than $20 million, but if you can settle this quarter, we'll sell you the license for just $10 million. Licensees are aware of the pressures for quarterly results from Wall Street, and they use it to their advantage, of course, often waiting until the end of the quarter to negotiate preferential terms. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why PIPCOs have been spectacularly unsuccessful in recent years, and they're certainly not very popular with public investors. They're not always popular with inventors, who sometimes feel the NPE has left money on the table in a mad scramble to report quarterly sales. In most industries, the companies that make the most noise and attract the most attention are the most successful. This isn't the case with NPEs. Large, high-profile NPEs have become the target for a new industry of companies making a profit by filing inter-party reviews challenging the validity of patents. Companies like Unified Patents are funded by the large high-tech corporations and issue press releases on a regular basis boasting about their success in killing patents held by high-profile NPEs. If you want to be successful as an NPE these, these days, you need to avoid raising finance from the public markets and you would well be advised to stay under the radar. You don't want to attract unwanted attention and get on the target list for the IPR industry. So where does this leave us? If you're going to assert your patents through an MPE, you need to find one that's under the radar and not reporting to Wall Street. By definition, finding a company that's trying to avoid publicity and stay under the radar is not so easy, unless you have the right contacts and connections. Now, let's explore how the MPE business model works. MPEs used to raise finance from investors, buy patents, put them into a dedicated limited liability company, hire litigation counsel, hire patent licensing exec executives, file the lawsuits, push the licensing executives to generate licensing sales, and the business was quite profitable. That all changed with the patent reforms initiated in around 2012. Patent rights were diluted by Congress, and the courts and numerous measures put in place to make life difficult for NPEs. NPEs have been making losses, going out of business, 
or leaving the country ever since. Many of the MPEs that are surviving in the current market no longer buy patents. They take ownership under, under a profit-sharing arrangement where they agree to share profits with the original patent holder. This means the MPE doesn't need to raise finance to buy the patents up front. And they share the profits on the back end after the legal fees, expert fees, and all the associated litigation costs have been deducted. If you've ever been involved in a joint venture, you've probably found that profit-sharing arrangements can be problematic. Inventors and companies that have handed their patents over to NPEs under a profit-sharing arrangement have complained about the expenses that are deducted, and they've often been disappointed by the profits they receive after all the costs have been paid out. One patent holder I talked to was not particularly happy to find that the law firm had charged over a million dollars for photocopies. This was related to one single case. Costs can get out of control, especially where lawyers are involved, and the definition of profits can be somewhat open to interpretation. Profit-sharing arrangements can become a spreadsheet nightmare and a source of dispute over whether overhead and other costs can be offset against the profits. In recent years, I've seen MPEs offering patent holders a share of the gross revenue collected. These revenue-sharing arrangements are much more appealing to patent holders than profit-sharing deals because it's difficult to argue about the definition of revenue. If a license is sold for $1 million and the inventor has an 80-20 revenue-sharing arrangement with the MPE, the inventor can expect to receive $200,000, 20% of $1 million, which would be the revenue, regardless of the photocopying fees, expert witness fees, legal fees, and the other costs incurred in the litigation and licensing campaign. These gross revenue sharing arrangements are relatively new and they're rare to find, but they do seem to make sense from the perspective of the patent holder. Non-practicing entities have been hard hit in recent years, but many of them are still around, and some of them are here to stay, despite the intense lobbying by tech companies in Washington, D.C. Specialization is a trend we've seen in all industries. In the patent industry, we need to make room for specialists, inventors, entrepreneurs with unusual knowledge and skills who don't build products but focus on creating innovative new technologies that will benefit us all. Specialist patent licensing companies are necessary to force large multinational product manufacturers to pay license fees on patents they're infringing and encourage innovation by providing a way for inventors to earn a living. Inventors represented by law firms don't have the muscle to take on the largest corporations in the world. Inventors patents and non-practicing entities are part of the fabric of the patent system and they all play an important role in pushing back the boundaries of technology by encouraging innovation. You'll find more information on non-practicing entities and all aspects of patent licensing in our Patent Strategies course on the Silicon Valley Business School website. You can find my books and other information freely available on the tynax.com website that's tynax.com. And you're welcome to join me in my Silicon Valley Business School chat room 
where I can answer questions and help you monetize your patents and navigate your startup towards success. I hope you'll join us for future podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes as and when they're released. And please rate us in your podcast player, as this will help us get the word out to the entrepreneurs and the other people we're trying to help with this podcast series. That's it for today. Hope you tune in to the next Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for innovators and entrepreneurs. Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. At less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com.